Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey, I'm your host, and joining me as a guest co-host for this entire month, a good friend of mine, Brittany Brooker. Brittany, so good to have you on the podcast with me. It's a blessing to be here. We're going to have fun. Oh my goodness, this is going to be a blast. What you guys need to know as a listener is that, you know, oftentimes we have people on the podcast and their friends, their acquaintances. The Brookers have become really great friends to the Blackburns, and they're the kind of friends that, you know, you call up and you go, okay, life's falling apart right now. I need to tell you the real. Yes, <laughs> the real story. <laughs> so you might get some real raw on this one if you're listening to this. I'm really excited this entire month to have you on this. And just to give you a little bit, as the listener, a little bit of um, kind of some some back end on understanding who Brittany is, if you don't know who she is, first of all, you need to follow her on Instagram, all the craziness of her life, because at 25 years old, Brittany, you became a widow mm-hmm. and you were raising three boys under the age of three at the time. Yes. And then uh, you, around the same time that I was getting remarried, you guys just beat, beat us out by a few months, remarried to a widower, Daniel, mm-hmm. who's become a great friend of mine. And he had two kids of his own. You guys blended families and lovingly now call everyone calls you and you call yourself the Brooker Bunch. Yes. I thought I I was tired with three kids. Now we have five (laughs) and it's crazy, y'all. It is nuts, but it's so fun to watch from afar and it's even more fun to be in it with you. Uh, We got some time. We were able to spend some time with you guys back in February and it was just a blast. It was so so fun. fun. If you guys want to hear more of their story, you need to go listen to episodes 22 and 23 and they share their story and it's just fantastic. But one of the things I thought we would talk about is we just kind of open up this particular episode is um, I want to talk about remarriage after loss because we've received quite a few questions about this topic. And uh, one of the things talking about it. (laughs) Yeah. We talk a lot about loss. We talk about how to work through loss, but then there's the remarriage component. And, um, and I'd love to just hear your thoughts on it. You know, some of the questions that, that I've kind of received is, you know, is it okay to remarry after loss? Why is it okay? Like, what does the scripture say about this? And then, of course, we can you know talk a little bit about some of the difficulties of that. But what are your thoughts on even just it being okay to remarry after loss? That's hard. You know, you you've, you you are it a soulmate is. to somebody, and then all of a sudden you're trying to work through all of that stuff in and falling in love with and choosing to love someone else. And so, give me your thoughts on that, Britt. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, so many people say if you remarry, that means that you moved on, that you don't still have a love for that other person, but. I don't really feel like it's moving on is moving forward with your life. And so you're not going around it. You're not leaving it. It's still a treasured season, but that person is not there anymore. And even scripture is so clear on the widow remarrying and saying that it's better for the young widow to remarry. And so, you know, for me and my story, it wasn't something that I was like seeking after and thought, this is going to be my story. I really thought, man, if I'm a widow the rest of my life, Let's do this to the glory of God, wherever God has you. And I think that comes with the contentment of not searching out, trying to find your redemption story, but that Jesus is your redemption story. And I think your perspective of the way you go about it is so important. And also 
to think, you know, a man or a woman is not going to be your restorer. Mm-hmm. And a new family is not going to be a restorer. Jesus has to be the one that restores your soul. So and good. so I think your perspective going into that, if the Lord leads it, yes. If He doesn't lead you there, yes. But He yeah. has to be your greatest treasure. Yeah. I mean, it's just like uh, before, you know, when you when you first married Patrick, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if anybody's single, they haven't been married before. One of the things we try to teach people is that that person's not going to complete you, right? Yep. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jerry Maguire. That's yeah. a great movie. <laughs> But it's not, so they're not yeah. going to complete you. Uh, they're definitely going to compliment you. But For at the end sure. of the day, there's only one person who can truly, fully, finally satisfy you, and that's Jesus. There's a God sized hole in each one of us. And that yeah. has to get settled first before we can ever truly love the way Jesus calls us to love someone else in a romantic way. And I think a struggle oftentimes is people that have walked through loss, you've walked through so much pain that you're desiring, you're just wanting to hold on to something that is joyful, happy, like you're longing so much for that. And sometimes it can be a big idol. I mean, there's so many widows and there's so many widowers you and Daniel talk to you that are desiring it so much. It becomes this idol in their life that they want that comfort the world has or or, and it's it's a God-given, amazing comfort to have a spouse. And like, mm. praise the Lord for that. But when we put that over God is when we have right. struggle because you and I know in remarriage, there's struggles because my husband married me and I'm a sinner, you know, and yeah, I come with right. brokenness and craziness. So in all of our mess, we can do it together, but we also just want to join together in clinging to Jesus first and foremost. That's so good. Uh, it's, it should be kind of like the icing on the cake, so to speak. Yes. Right? Right? Like the cake is really the redemption, the redemption story that God is writing in you. And redemption happens when you begin to, when you heal, when you're restored, mm-hmm. when God restores you, like you said, nobody else can. And when you're turning that around to help somebody else, you know, For when sure. you begin to use your pain to help other people, which is the point of this whole podcast, the whole ministry is turn it around to help somebody else. That's when redemption happens. And then God in his grace and his goodness, in his timing, he begins to put icing and sprinkles and stuff, so to speak, mm-hmm. on the cake by, you know, restoring some things back to you. And it all turns us towards Him. You know, like I was That's talking right. to my kids that today, if I want our life to literally point to the glory of God. And so when we see the joyful moments that God gives us in the midst of restoring and redeeming parts of our story here on earth, may yeah. it be something that makes us worship God more and say, glory to God for you do give good gifts and your kindness is unsearchable and your greatness yeah. is good. Yeah. Well, not to take too much time over this topic, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on when oh, no, one here day we go. <laughs> you're in, you know, one day you've, you've passed away, Daniel's passed away. We're all in heaven. How does, how, how do you feel like that's going to interplay now that you're standing with Patrick and Daniel? Yeah. I mean, well, I think scripture is so clear that we aren't given to marriage in heaven. It's mm. so much bigger than marriage. It's so much bigger yeah. than us and our human relationships. And so many times it's hard for us to wrap our mind around heaven and what it's going to be like because it's not a human relationship. It's yeah, not a human right. thing. It is so supernatural and so much bigger than ourselves. So that's yeah. kind of where I point people to when they ask me that question is going back to scripture and going back mm. that it's so much bigger than ourselves. Yeah, that's so good. And while we may be in interaction with each other and know each other and actually have a really deep love for each other, mm-hmm. it's not going to be the same here as here on earth. And again, there's so much that we don't know, but we can infer that, yeah, you know what? I hope I'm going to know Amanda in heaven and I hope yeah. that I'm going to know, and I'm pretty confident that I am, but at the end of the day, um, we're all going to look, we're going to be so full of 
of the Lord, that yeah. there's not going to be jealousy or strife or envy or anything like that that deteriorates um, relationships among us. So I think it's just, uh, there's such an interesting topic. It is. One we that, could talk a long time talk about, about it. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I, know, I know, but I know we don't have a whole lot of time on this. So uh, I want to just ask you before we step into this interview that we have with Matt Hammett, I want to ask you guys as the listener, would you do us a favor if this has blessed you, if this ministry is uh, ministering to you in any way, would you go and rate and review us on iTunes? It really helps one, for us to get encouragement as we read your reviews. It also helps to, to have the podcast gain exposure. Go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get this in your every time, every week when we re, every week when we release these, you get this in your um, iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And so yeah. if you can do that, that'd be great. And you can follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. They do a lot of content. We as a team, mm-hmm. um, just lots of encouragement, lots of things pointing you to resources that are biblical and encouraging you in this season of life you are. So we're doing a new thing at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. We're always looking for ways to feature stories of encouragement of people walking through pain, and we would love to hear your story. We yeah. would love to mm-hmm. hear the story of people around you that have encouraged you and inspired you to walk closer with the Lord in the midst of your trial. So you can go to the website at nothingiswasted.com forward slash stories and submit those amazing stories to us. And also, if you have any other questions, um, you can go to hello at nothingiswasted.com. And today we have an incredible interview for you. Someone that uh, growing up, I listened to his music. Brittany, I don't know if you listen to Sanctus oh, yeah. Real at all. Okay. Um, and he's still, obviously, Sanctus Real is still a band, but you're going to find out some some of his story right here that he's no longer a part of it. He was the lead singer of Sanctus Real, Matt Hammett. Yes. You've got to hear this story. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable yeah. story. So go ahead and let's listen into this interview with Matt Hammett. Matt, so great to have you on the podcast with me. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's good to be here. Well, man, why don't you do this? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family right now? Uh, just kind of give us a context as to you know where do you guys live? What do you do? Uh, who is Matt Hammett? Yeah, so when I was 16 years old in Toledo, Ohio, um, I met some guys uh, at my high school who you know we all played music. And uh, that was kind of a common passion that we shared and started jamming together. Uh, I went to a Christian school. And so we started playing in chapel together. That was a really formative time in my life. Um, and it, we just, it kind of wasn't enough for us mm-hmm. to just be playing at school. So we started getting together on the weekends and playing songs that we loved. And then we started writing songs and that became uh, what some people know as the band Sanctus Real. And so the crazy part about this is, you know, uh, right out of high school, we started getting calls from record labels and we didn't really know that that dream would turn into something long-term, you know, Mm -hmm. we thought we knew we'd do it in high school and hopefully you you want it to go as long as it can, but you also have the expectation that at some point the (laughs) dream dies. And, um, I had no idea that, you know, we'd have the opportunity to continue that, um, as, as we got out of high school and planned to go to college, but actually didn't even go to college cause we got signed when I was 21 years old. Mm. And then I actually ended up getting married that same year. And so there were two pieces of my life at that point, um, where, you know, I've got 
this career dream and I've got a family dream. Mm. And those two dreams, um, side by side over 20 years from 1996 to 2016, um, of being in Sanctus Real, really have defined more than just my life in a way. I mean, they really through the music and through the experiences have even defined my career. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's never one without the other for me. Mm. And that tension has defined a lot of the, the art that I've poured into, to music and song. Um, and now into a, a book that I finished and, and many, many other projects mm. that, um, you know, I've been, I've been working on over the course of, of the past couple decades, but, um, yeah, that that's really kind of the crux of, of my story is is those two things, and so you know I'm I live in Nashville, Tennessee now. Funny enough, all 20 years I was in Sanctus Real, I lived in Ohio, even though everything was in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And then once I stepped out of that a few years ago, um, my wife was like, "Hey, we should move to Nashville." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> we kind of doing this backwards here. To <laughs> yeah. Um, but that would be good so that I could be home and still go in the studio and write with other artists and, and whatnot. And so, um, so my wife's name is Sarah. We have four kids, uh, Emmy, Claire, uh, Bowen and Lewis, uh, Lewis is seven, Bowen's nine, Claire's 11 and Emmy's 13. So we are a busy household, wow. homeschool all four kids. Absolutely. So I know you said you're working on a lot of different projects right now, but you, would you say a lot of your time is spent? doing songwriting and working with other artists since you're there base camp to Nashville? Yeah. So, um, for three years, man, I wrote a hundred songs a year, uh, all with, mostly with other artists. And, and I, I really enjoyed that, but with the nature of the business and the fear that's in the record industry, mm. um, the amount of songs that labels are having their artists write per album now can be in the hundreds. Um, wow. so, the issue with that is that at the end of the day, you could have, you know, 75 great songs, 50 contenders for album cuts, you know, 30 potential singles. Mm-hmm. And you could write, you know, I, it doesn't matter. I could write, I could write a hundred great songs. And because of the nature of the industry right now, potentially not even have one of them cut, mm-hmm. you know? So it's really, this is all, you know, as you know, because of streaming. So it's like now people aren't really listening to albums anymore. Right. So even getting an album cut um, in terms of providing for a family, it just takes so much right. to be able to to earn your sole income as a songwriter if you don't have an absolute smash hit. Mm. Um, that's pretty much the people who who commit to be do songwriting full-time pretty much rely on like, Hey, the hopes that they're going to get at least one huge song that kind of covers it all. Um, and for me, I've got so many other things that from my own events where I go to speak or sing this book I've been working on, um, and a lot of other passions that I have things that I've dreams for that. I just was kind of like, man, I had to, I had to decide after this past three years, like, is this the best way to honor the time that I've committed to using not only, uh, my, for, for my gifts, but also for honoring my family and mm. the decision I made to be spending more time with my family. Yeah. Those hours that I work have to count. Mm. And so I still do write songs, 
Um, but I, I'm doing it less and looking more and more at each day, just kind of going open-handed, like, okay, God, how are you going to use me today? And that's been a lot more exciting actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you guys kind of came at, to a crossroads. I know while you were touring with Sanctus Real and you were leading that band, um, and a lot of it has to do with kind of a personal trial that your family was undergoing with your son, Bowen. Can yeah. you kind of walk me through that and just kind of give me, you know, give me a narrative of that. And then I'd love to dive deep and, and talk about some of the, the different emotions that you guys have been wrestling with and how you process some of that stuff with the Lord. Yeah. I mean, in 2010, Sanctus Real uh, put out an album called Pieces of a Real Heart. And on that album was a song called Lead Me. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm about to get right into what you're asking, but I want to set it up with this. Um, so I just written this song, lead me about being a better father and a better husband that came out of a really difficult time that my wife, Sarah and I had been through mm -hmm. just in terms of us connecting emotionally. Yeah. Um, and our communication and our conflict had just been in a really bad cycle. And she just really appealed to me into my heart and just was like, Hey, I need you to be a better leader. I need you to be stronger emotionally for me mm. and spiritually for me. Um, Cause you know, the, the pace of my lifestyle and career was always just um, leaving no room for rest. Mm. And so they were really getting the leftovers. So uh, that song was, that album was just about to come out. And a month before that album came out, my wife and I went into, or actually, I'm sorry, no, it was actually a month after the album came out. My wife and I went to our 20-week ultrasound for our third child and um, found out that day two things, which was number one, we found out that our little girls were going to get their, their first little brother. Hmm. So that was super exciting. We actually had our oldest with us. But we also found out that day that our little boy only had half of a heart. Mm. We didn't even know what that meant. I mean, for us, it was like, how is it possible to have half of a heart? Yeah. You know, and so obviously our first questions to our, our doctor was, can he live this way? And, the, and the, there was really no defined answer. They said, hey, you know, there, there is some hope, but it's also can be, you know, a grim outcome. And so we just spent from April to September just praying and waiting for this little boy to be born. And we just really had no other choice, but to just trust whatever God was doing. And at mm. that point, um, you know, the doctors gave us some options. And, and one of those options that we were encouraged toward was to terminate our pregnancy, which mm. kind of shocked me because it was a very strong push for that right. from some of our doctors. And, um, you know, but we, we chose life. And so we actually named him Bowen because it meant small, victorious one. Hmm. And so April, September, we just like waited. And in September, uh, right, this is so crazy, right around the time that the song Lead Me actually went number one on Christian radio. My wife and I were with our son at his bedside in the hospital after he was born hmm. for his very first open heart surgery. So... I mentioned earlier this tension that I felt kind of between family dreams and career dreams. I never right. felt it at any time more than that yeah. because 
everything I'd wanted in a way in my career dreams was right there in front of me. Mm. But compared to what was happening in the hospital, I, I don't want to say I didn't care because I'm grateful, but you can imagine like, yeah. what did it really mean at that moment? Yeah. Cause I had given it all up to see my boy live and thrive. And so that was a, a really, um, defining season for us because we actually spent from September all the way through Thanksgiving, uh, in the hospital. So several months, four months in the hospital and just didn't think he was going to make it. Had many close calls with death. He had a cardiac arrest and a stroke and, um, all kinds of issues. And finally they sent us home right before Thanksgiving, which is really incredible. We got to, you know, make it home for the holidays, but, I also had to go straight back out on the road, knowing that that ne- early that next year we'd have to go back for another open heart surgery. Mm. And so it was just like a really difficult time. You know, we saw more success during that time in, in the career than we ever thought we would have. But my personal life um, and the grief that my wife and I were going through personally with having the fighting for our child's life. Um, was a tremendous struggle for us. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a, man, 2010 was, it was a, it was a good year in in some ways, but just, man, we, we were through the ringer, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Matt, can you, um, if you can, you know, the, as best as you can remember that four month season where you guys are in the hospital and you're just, you're waiting and you're hoping and you're praying and can you, Talk to me about some of the emotional highs and lows that you guys experienced through that. What, what, what yeah. was that like? So w- when you're fighting for your kid's life and I, I mean, and, and it, that sounds kind of, might sound like a cliche term, but like I'm being very literal. Um, we actually had issues with bone that were even outside of his, his heart disease. Mm. He was having an issue with his blood sugars that were sending his blood sugars down into levels that could kill a child. And so we literally didn't know if he would survive. And we had uh, one instance in particular, you know, where Sarah um, really felt in her heart that there was a medication that was adversely affecting him that could help and no one would listen to her. And finally she just said, man, I'm as a mother, I am, we're, we're taking him off this medication. And when they took it off, the problem went away. Wow. I mean, so, you know, you have your son who almost died, almost dying in the hospital and you're fighting saying, please listen to what we're watching him 24 hours a day. And we see this pattern, please listen. And finally, you know, it's like, you just, I mean, literally fighting in yeah. those kind of ways. And then at the same time, um, oh, and, and, and I do want to say, even though I talk about, you know, please listen and take them all this medication and all that. I do know, I never want to like put out the doctors right. who are actually trying to save our son's right. life and going off what knowledge they have, what they've devoted their life to. And they're truly well-intentioned and, and mm. wanting to serve and, and save lives. But that, that, that parent gut sometimes yeah. mm-hmm. brings something that mm-hmm. the doctors don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, all that's happening. The hard part is that, you know, my wife and I, Sarah, you know, we're, we're invested in people's lives above and beyond our own. Like that's just the way we're kind of built. Mm-hmm. So we began connecting with all these other families in the hospital, probably something that was 
for me at least, and I know it was hard for Sarah too, it was almost as difficult as our own struggle was watching friends that we would make in the hospital, um, watching them lose their children. Mm. And so it kind of felt like this, like a war zone in a way, you know, these doctors and nurses are kind of acclimated to it. But when you're thrown into that as a parent and you're so raw emotionally, um, I remember this, this one kid, Russell, who had a similar disease to Bowen, um, there's a there's kind of a side effect to some of these surgeries that that causes a deadly side effect with having to lose protein. It's called PLE, and um, and he had got this disease, and he was in the hospital, and he was just like the sweetest kid, and we would visit him all the time, and he was like the happiest kid, and he was always like telling every nurse and every doctor mm. about Jesus all the time, <laughs> and sharing God's love, and and he was so sweet. And I became friends with his father and we watched in that four months, watched, watched Russell just wither away mm. and, and, and pass on to be with the Lord. And he was like a 17 year old kid, you know? And so it was more really than just our own story. It was all these stories that we were, you know, emotionally invested in and just kind of really rocked us. And, mm. and although it defined us and matured us in a lot of ways, it also left us pretty ragged, mm. you know, kind of war torn. And so it was, it was a difficult time for us. As, as excited as we were on Thanksgiving to go home after that. Yeah. Um, but you, another funny part of that is ABC world news called us and said, Hey, can we follow you guys home? And so then we were like, Oh my gosh, we just got done <laughs> four months of this. And now like they want to do this news story and like, we really felt like we didn't want to do it. And then we felt like, Hey, God is opening this door for a reason for us yeah. to share our story. But going home, we, and you know, with a pile of medication, we literally had like 14 meds that he was on and we, he had an NG tube. So we had to feed him with a tube and we had to change that out. And you know, that was painful for him. So he'd kick and scream and we would change it. And we were just like be in the middle of the night sometimes trying to change his NG tube and he'd be throwing up and we'd like, be just in tears mm-hmm. and then I'd have to leave and go on the road and leave Sarah to do it by herself. And it was, it was a hard, hard season for us. Wow. Well, you know, I know it, I know that season caused you to have to make, you know, to wrestle with some major decisions. And I want to talk about that in a second, but you mentioned something about this other tension where almost like from what I'm hearing you say, you feel worn down by being surrounded by not only your own story, but also all these other people's stories and ministering to them. And at the same time, you're recognizing the opportunity that God's placed in front of you to minister to people, you know, and to give uh, hope and life to other people who are there, um, maybe possibly void of it while they're in the hospital. How, I think this is a common occurrence, especially when you're talking to people who work with you know, work in ministry, work with other people or surrounded by constant stories of pain. I know that's something that my wife and I are consistently battling is because of our story, we're constantly inundated with other people's pain and ministering to other people. And so we wrestle with that same tension of going, how do we, how do we stay spiritually and emotionally healthy enough to help other people, you know, while we're inundated with all of this that can, it can take a toll on you. Have you guys kind of discovered some insights around that as you've been walking this road? Well, yeah. I mean, it really, you know, this, this book I just finished, um, 
lead me, gosh, that's really the heart of it is, is, is looking at how do we make decisions um, as leaders to create health and margin in our lives with God's help hmm. to be able to be the, the kind of leaders that we're, we're meant and called to be. And, you know, really, I think this question leads to a really difficult decision that I made in 2015. I just realized some of the toll that not only it was this, that our story was taking on us, but being on the road so much and, you know, kind of caught in that grind. Um, you know, we had built this, this band that had a tour bus and a crew and managers. And it's like, right. If people are going to eat, the machine has to keep moving. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was like, it just felt like it could never stop because as you're trying to grow and you're reinvesting to, to keep growing, but like, you know, you do not, you never know when that cycle ends. Yeah. And so I just, I think I was kind of feeling like it was like that hamster wheel kind of feeling mm-hmm. at that point. And, and I was just looking at also, as I was on the road, I started a foundation and I was out of hospitals visiting other people. And then after shows, we would talk with people and because of what I had gone through, people were always wanting to come up and share their stories with me, yeah. which was beautiful. Mm-hmm. But like you're talking about, it's like at some point you begin to take this mm-hmm. weight upon yourself when you're still trying to like get up out right. un- under the weight of your own story. Right. Um, and, and you know, it's like, I, I know that, as a, as a follower of Christ, like I don't have to carry that weight alone. I know that. But at the same time, even Jesus took time mm-hmm. to get away mm-hmm. and rest. Yeah. And so in 2015, I got to the point where I realized like, Hey, I, I really feel like I was being called to make a hard decision to take this thing. I'd been a part of for 20 years that I helped build and grow. And I wrote the songs, you know, pour my, my lyrics into these songs and my life into these songs and was out seeing how I, how they were affecting people. And it seemed like such an incredible thing to me, but I realized it was also the thing that was taking such a great toll on what was most important in my life and made the decision to step away from Sanctus Real. And, and that was a really hard decision, Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you when I, when I made a hard decision to prioritize the health of my family and my own health as a leader. Um, because I, that, that was, that was the, the best decision I ever made. Not because I don't love the guys in Sanctus Real, not because I, you know, didn't love the work that I did there, but we choose. I mean, sometimes we feel very, God clearly paves the way and we follow him. Right. But he, but he shifts us through seasons and we choose in those seasons how we're going to continue to use our gifts. Are we going to use them in the way that we we really like envisioned ourselves using them? Or can we allow ourselves to step away for a minute and hear God's voice and be obedient to maybe a different way that he's calling us to do things? Mm-hmm. Because we have these gifts, but we choose the context in which we use them. And I fear that in our society, in our culture, we've we've built these kingdoms or bubbles or of, of influence or whatever you want to call it, where if I'm a worship leader and I have this gift, 
I look at Chris Tomlin, you know, and I think, oh, wow, look at what he's doing. That's what a worship leader does. Mm. Or if I want to be, you know, in a CCM band or, or a mainstream band, I look at, you know, this other band and how they perform and how they do their thing and how they operate and all the things you have to do to attain that. Right. Or if I'm building right. my business, I look at whoever my influencer, or my guru is in business. And mm-hmm. this is how they have achieved. So this is these are the steps. And we get our mindset on like sometimes we covet, mm-hmm. covet that success. And we assume that that's this is these are the ways that I have to get to it. Yeah. Right. Um, and sometimes I think not sometimes, but I think that that oftentimes we miss God's unique plan for our lives Mm. in the middle of all that. If we can't step away and listen, God, are you calling me to take rest or Mm. to, to readjust or to refocus? And in that, I'm not saying that the answer for everybody out there who's struggling with stress or, you know, or, or burdens is to like quit your job, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like definitely that's not for everybody, but it might be, it might be for somebody out there. And that was what I was called to do. And that took a lot of faith to step out of this boat, right? Like that was my boat. Like if you look at Peter and and Jesus saying, all right, come on, step out of the boat. Like I think to myself, like it probably wasn't that hard to take your first, his first foot and like dip his toe in the water. But I literally can't imagine what it would have been like to actually rest the weight of my body into the waves, Mm. knowing like nothing but God can sustain me right now. That's kind of what it felt like to me because I didn't know how I was going to provide for my family. Yeah, I didn't know what was next for me, but I had passions and I had gifts that God had given me. And it was just like, okay, Lord, show me what's next. And in that, he began to open some new doors, but he also began to restore my soul and give me some of the rest that I needed for so long. I'm interrupting this important conversation for a really good reason. We want to make sure you know about all of the resources that are available to you, our Nothing Is Wasted community. If you haven't heard us talk about it before, we have created a program that we want to make as value-adding as possible to your healing journey. Beyond the inspiration we all receive from our incredible conversations with our podcast guests, we also want to make sure we are taking it a step further by encouraging transformation. One way we do this is with our monthly partner program. By making a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation to our monthly partner program, anyone can access resource-driven content that goes above and beyond our normal conversations. For a $20 a month donation to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, you can access monthly mini bonus episodes with past guests, full bonus episodes with new guests, five to 10 minute supplementary commentaries about each episode, live Q&As, Get first access to Nothing Is Wasted announcements, discounts to Nothing Is Wasted coaching, events and products, and other bonus content we'll release periodically. We want your support to this ministry to be mutually beneficial. So please take advantage of these resources as you consider setting up this partnership with us. To find out more information about this program, sign up or try a free seven-day trial, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Now back to our interview. Talk to me a little bit about even, you know, making a decision like this, while it can be in some ways exciting and enticing to be able to find that like relief and 
and re- restoration. You know, you said again, this was a faith step, which means that there was some grieving, little small grieving, you know, pieces of mourning that had to happen because you're stepping away from, so to speak, this thing that you thought was going to be your life, your career, your dream, even right when you had it in the clutches of your hands. Can you kind of talk to me about how you guys grappled with that, how you maybe mourned that, hey, we're stepping away from this thing that we were building and it got really successful yeah. And now, yeah, sure, we're following after this. It's exciting and adventurous to follow after the Lord, and but this this is hard. Yeah, speak to that yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it was definitely like the first the first difficult emotion I dealt with. Honestly, was fear of abandoning these guys who mm-hmm. done life with me, and fear that that those relationships would be destroyed, or fear that they'd be angry with me. Um, and in fear that like honestly there was there was a, a pride issue involved that I didn't see as pride at all, but God kind of revealed it to me because mm. I was like, what are these guys gonna do? You know, it's like I've been the face of this band and I've, you know, been writing, you know, like the lyrics and a lot of the songs over the years. And um, like, man, you know, am I gonna leave these guys hanging? And and I felt very clearly one day God just speak to my heart and say like, do you think like you're my only kid that I love? Mm. Like, do you think you're the only one that I'm going to take care of? Like, I got this, like, this wow. isn't on you. Yeah. And I realized real quick, like, okay, I'm, 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 <laughs> I've got, I need to get rid of this complex that mm. like, I, I wanted it to be humility and want to take care of the guys. But at some point it was like, you know, I'd realize like they're God's kids. God's going to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And if I'm, if I'm called to do something, that means that they're called to do something else as well. Mm-hmm. And by me not moving forward as a leader, I'm holding them back mm-hmm. from going where they're meant to be. And so, but it, you know, even though it was the right thing, it was really hard, man. Like, it was, it was just as hard for Sarah as it was for me. And, and, you know, and then, and us working that out together, um, kind of co-grieving us moving out of this thing that, you know, she had really felt she loved yeah. being part of the band too. She, since, you know, she was involved with it for man, 15, 16 <laughs> years. Since you guys got we married. Road yeah, for right. the first five years that we were married mm-hmm. with us and she'd invested and made a lot of sacrifices too. And, you know, as a community for her, mm-hmm. the wives. And, and, you know, if there, there's that feeling that when I stepped away, they then had to figure out how they were going to move forward because they wanted mm-hmm. to. And so I had to grieve like, okay, they're moving on without me, mm-hmm. which like, that's like a whole nother, like this thing that I had poured so much of my life into. Now it's going to be handed over to somebody else is going to walk into my place and, and redefine and you know i mean it, that's hard to give up give up right. right it would have been actually a lot easier for me if the guys would have said man it's been a great 20 years let's all go do a different things right the fact that they were like hey nope we still want to be sanctus to really we still want to move on even without you um you know as as it was painful for them for me to say i'm leaving it was painful for me to watch them go on mm. without me wow and so same with Sarah. It was like for, for them, I think to find their way, they had to put up a little bit of like a, 
they they had to, they had how do I put it like it felt like even though it wasn't marriage I mean it felt kind of like a divorce right yeah like our lives are separated now we're going to find somebody else to do this thing and in that there's kind of this natural need for distance and time right. mm-hmm. and that distance and time can feel cruel mm-hmm. emotionally even though it's necessary mm-hmm. and there's some things you know even though it wasn't an ugly break there's some things that you just know need time to heal naturally when a relationship. Right. And so, you know, I have not personally experienced divorce. Um, and, and again, I'm not likening the pain of this to the pain of somebody who's been through divorce. I don't want to diminish that, mm. but it gives me some more actually empathy for people who go through that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, having lived so much intimate life with a group of people, and being kind of torn from that incredibly difficult thing. Yeah. And so there was a lot of grieving for me and Sarah, both separately and di- I mean, together, but also differently. Mm-hmm. And that caused a whole nother set of trials for us mm-hmm. is to learn how do we engage one another when we grieve so differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is why, you know, many, many couples who go through difficult circumstances, um, especially with illness or sick kids or um, people go through loss and they grieve differently. A lot of times that in and of itself tears them apart. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, you know, (laughs) in a lot of ways, it was a blessing Mm. to, to go and obey, but it was also very difficult. Absolutely. Well, and I'm sure at some point on the journey after you've made this decision, you know, and maybe, maybe you you can speak to this. There were probably some times where you go, did I make the right decision or did I, did I hear God right in all of this? Yeah. How did you wrestle through that? Yeah. You know, I think for me, I probably spent more of that emotion on the front end when I was holding off on making the decision. Mm, Yeah. So for me, it was probably more of like, I knew I was meant to do it, Mm. but I was still holding on Yeah. until I knew for absolute certain that I always say it was like, as certain as I was restless, I knew that I was released. Mm. Because there's a difference, right? Yep. Like you feel restlessness sometimes, but you're like, you still feel in your spirit. Like I'm not, I'm not being let go from this yet. Yeah. Right. I know something new is stirring inside of me. Um, but I knew I was released and I was called to go and I still was like trying to keep one foot back in the boat, you know, yep, and I absolutely. just was struggling with that. And so by the time I actually stepped out, I felt really sure of that decision. Um, but Sarah very much struggled with like, are you sure mm. this is right for our family? Are you sure you to leave this? Is there a way we can hang on to it in some way, shape or form? And, um, you know, it's it's funny because now three and a half years later, I still don't feel like I made the wrong decision, but but I miss it more sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I miss using uh, my gifts in that way. Like mm-hmm. I miss using my voice on a stage with a rock band because yeah. <laughs> that was such a fun part of my life. That was the fun part of it for me. Um, so there's things I really miss about it now. Mm. All right, you know, I I love the title of this book, Lead Me. And obviously comes from the the song. Um, are there 
since you've made this decision, I'm just curious, are there ways that God has, and the reason I ask this is because as you're, you know, ministering to so many different men and women alike who are wrestling with these kinds of decisions, these like severing type decisions. I mean, these are crossroads, major, you know, you're, you're leaving one thing and you're moving on to the next thing. Um, I've found that there are times that God in his leading, he'll, he'll, uh, ask you to make decisions like this. And then he will show up on the other end, on the other side of that decision to confirm it with provision and with like, Oh, okay. Like, this kind of makes sense now. Have you had some instances like that as you guys have stepped away? All along the way, really the desire that was birthed in my heart, even before I left Sanctus Real, um, what really started with Lead Me as a song, which is why, you know, we named the book that because it wasn't just the song. It was like, it defined so much of my life and my desire to be a good husband and father. And I think really I wanted to be able to use my gifts however I could to to help. I'd seen how much that message and that song had helped people Mm. that I wanted to be able to expand on that platform. It's very, um, how do I put it? It's a big gift for an artist to ever in their career have a song that is a legacy song. Mm. And because I was blessed to have one of those, I feel a way to responsibility that yeah. comes with that message. Mm-hmm. Um, when this is something that um, a song that has endured and still gets played on radio and has become this legacy song and message, how do I continue to use that platform? Mm. And that's really what I knew God was birthing in my heart. And I just said, Hey God, you've just got to show me. So after I left Sanctus real, it wasn't, it was very, very short period of time after that, that I got my first call. That was a big confirmation to me, which was from a guy named Bob Lapine, who is a a major part of an organization called Family Life Mm -hmm. out of Little Rock, Arkansas. Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I had been to some of their marriage conferences that had really um, been really instrumental in, in giving us some practical and spiritual tools to help us with some of the areas that we needed to grow. And Bob called me and said, Hey, would you want to join our family life speaking team um, and go out a few times a year and be part of these conferences and be one of our speakers? And that was like, that was the first thing um, that really made me feel like, okay, God is is going to use this platform mm-hmm. um, as I surrendered to him. And then, mm-hmm. you know, a year, year later, I got a call from Kirk Cameron and Kirk mm-hmm. uh, was like, Hey, you know, we're doing these events. Would you come out to my house, spend some time with my family? And see if we could have some, some common, uh, you know, passions here that would align for us to do an event together. And when, when I heard about this living room reset event that he wanted to start, you know, he invited me to be part of, of it, um, to share a little of my story and also, you know, sing some of my songs and lead worship. Mm. And to me, it was like, okay, like I'd left this thing, but now it was like, in a way I was getting a little piece of it back. Cause I can just mm. go out like, one weekend a month on the bus with some guys and, you know, not only use like my love for leading worship, my love for singing uh, songs about life and faith that I'd written, um, but also get to share my testimonies, all three of those things that I love to do all in one. And so it was like one little step at a time and the book deal came along where they wanted me to do the book. And I thought, man, this is really, you know, um, working out to, to, to be able to like do things that, 
are not only blessing my family, but also bless other families. And um, it's been an incredible work, even as most recently um, been working more closely with an organization called Save the Storks, mm -hmm. um, which they're a pro-life organization, but they're redefining um, the, the way that people see pro-life. Like we're trying to, to help people kind of not look at the picket signs and mm -hmm. the shame, you know, right. associated with that and try to address the situation with love by just simply meeting the practical mm -hmm. needs of mothers in crisis. And the need that I saw there was the need that for every mom in crisis has a dad in crisis too. Yeah, that's great. And so, you know, how do we, how do we pour in and empower these dads to realize that they have um, a responsibility mm. and not just, there's this kind of easy thing in our society today where it's like, Oh, well, it's not my body. It's like, that's like, that's a cop out. Yeah. And that's, um, and so I'm trying to actually work with them with not them now to do a father initiative mm. to figure out how to reach young dads and help them, um, you know, in re the relationships and with their families. Mm. And so, you know, there's like all these things that have come up that just continue to confirm that I'm doing the right things mm. and I'm on the right path and they're unique. Uh, I guess for a guy who came out of a rock band, <laughs> they're fairly unique opportunities that I can see that God designed specifically by using that platform of lead me as a seed. Mm. And now it's growing that into many more ministries. And so it's yeah. been really exciting for me. Hmm. You know, Matt, I want to, I want to kind of circle back to, to, to Bowen and especially like the, the, the crisis of, you know, when you guys have found, when you found this out, you found that he had a chronic illness, you found that he had this heart defect and kind of the aftermath of all of that. And I'm hesitant to ask you this question because I don't want to like introduce a question that maybe you didn't wrestle with, but I do know the questions that our listeners wrestle with. And yeah. I'm curious if this ever came into your heart and mind and how you did wrestle with that, that maybe we could offer some insight, you know, into who our God is for our yeah. listeners. Did it ever cross your mind to go, you know, I was heading down this one path and, and God, maybe in these words or, or, or not, God had to get my attention. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, cause there are times like when crisis hit our, hits our lives, we're going like, wait, was did God do this to get my attention? Like, how do you wrestle? How did you wrestle with that? Cause I know that's something yeah. that, you know, that I've wrestled yeah. with that other people have, and, and it can distort your view of God if you don't land properly in that tension right there. For me, you know, I, I've looked at these, these two different struggles and, and I've experienced both. There's a, there are, you know, these crises that come into our lives that, we can't anticipate they're unexpected um for me you know bowen was was one of those crises and then there's crises that come into our lives that we cause you know mm -hmm. our, our selfishness and our sin causes issues for us and so both of these kinds of crises in our lives um definitely they they can either serve to embitter us and sometimes maybe they will embitter us for a season, um, even if we find our way to a softer heart. But they're really opportunities for us to realize our need for God. Mm. 
And, you know, I, I share this every opportunity I have because these words are so simple and they're so powerful. And when it comes to this issue, there's a guy, his name is Greg Lucas. He wrote a book called Wrestling with an Angel. Mm. And um, he's a police officer from West Virginia, just a simple guy with a big heart who um, blog about his son with autism. And so this is what he says in this book. And this, is, this might be one of my favorite passages of all time out of any books I've ever read besides the Bible. Mm -hmm. I, hear, I hear religious minded people say all the time with good intentions, God will play, never place a burden on you so heavy that you cannot carry it. Really? Mm -hmm. My experience is that God will place a burden on you so heavy that you cannot possibly carry it alone. He will break your back and your will. He will buckle your legs until you fall flat beneath the crushing weight of your load. All the while, he will walk beside you, waiting for you to come to the point where you must depend on him. Mm. My power is made perfect in your weakness, he says, as we strain under our burden. Wherever the, whatever the burden, it might indeed get worse, but I know this, God is faithful. And while we change and get old, he does not. When we get weaker, he remains strong. And in our weakness and humility, he offers us true, lasting, transforming, and undeserved grace. And it's in this grace, or it is this grace that enables us to do more than survive in this world. Grace enables us to thrive in the presence of this world's suffering while magnifying the one who breaks us with affliction, that he might equip us with comfort, compassion, and strength to give to others. And that is wow. so powerful to me because it speaks two things to me. Number one, it speaks that, that God knows that we are, are in our, how do I put this? As children of God, he knows our souls are at their best when we must rely on him. Mm. Number one. Um, and, and when he sees things in the scope of eternity, what seems so devastating or so big to us. Um, often, you know, God's got it. Mm. That sounds so cliche, man. I know, I know it does, but in his view of what, of, of the beauty that can come from pain, we look at it in Christ's life from Christ's very own death and the resurrection and what came from that pain. Um, it, it is, is kind of the picture of it, right? For us, of what we go through, we die in a way to ourselves um, through our trials to experience a resurrection. Mm -hmm. Even going back to Joseph, I always look, and, and again, a story everybody's very, very familiar with, probably a verse many people are familiar with, you know, what, what the enemy intended for evil, God intended for good. Yeah. And when we can receive like Job did, not just blessings from God mm. and only say God is good. Cause it's easy to say God is good when we're in the middle of a blessing, but he's that same God when we're going through a trial mm. and when if we're able to embrace an unchanging truth about who God is and what he wants for us in the end, then we can endure whatever he has for us now to get there. And secondly, what I see that speak to me, these trials and these crises, and, and I actually, and I came upon this book, by the way, when I was in the hospital with mm. Bowen. Wow. Um, second thing is realizing that my life is not all about me mm. and that God is equipping me through this trial to serve somebody else with the grace that he gives me yeah, to great. pass it forward to someone else. And so, I mean, 
I really hope that if somebody out there is really hurting right now, that they won't think I'm trying to give them some simple answer. Um, because one of the other things I've had to do is embrace the mystery. Mm, that's so good. Just embrace the mystery. Yep. We want to know everything, but we can't. Mm-hmm. We know actually for a fact that we just see a shadow of what's to come, but at some point we'll, we'll understand. Yeah. Um, and so in embracing that mystery, man, I just, I hope that, that what, what I read there and what I said could just hopefully bring some, some comfort in mm. the midst of it, even though it's hard. Mm. Man, that's so good, Matt. Um, I, one last question. I'd, I'd love for you just to provide some encouragement for maybe families, couples who have found themselves in, you know, a, a circumstance where they're, they're parenting, a child with chronic illness or, you know, there was some kind of difficulties. What, what's life like right now with Bowen? What have you guys kind of learned through that? And how would you encourage parents? Yeah. So we're actually in the final stages of actually making a documentary right now mm. um, called Bowen's Heart. And it's, it's all about this, these hard decisions that we've had to make. So I told you Bowen had two surgeries one when he was five days old and one when he was six months. Mm. Most kids with his disease have a third surgery at two years old. Mm. So when we got to that point, Bowen was doing really well. And there are some life-threatening side effects to the third surgery that don't happen in every child, but they're, they're, it's enough that it's a big concern. Yeah. So we said to the doctors, you know what? he's doing so well. Do we need to introduce the possibility Mm. of these side effects through this surgery? And they said, well, no, you don't have to, but it's what we do. And we said, well, so we don't have to do it. And they said, well, no. I said, well, what would happen if we wait? They said, well, you wait. And so instead of going with what protocol is, we decided to keep kind of putting it off. And it was like two years turned into like three and four and five. (laughs) And he was eight years old before we started to see some of the physical deterioration that his lack of ultimately the proper blood flow and blood pressures mm. through his body was causing. And so we were faced with a hard decision. It was like either let him continue to live a lower quality of life physically or do this third surgery, most likely give him more stamina and a better quality of life, but introduce potentially more life-threatening illness. So it was really like being in the situation like there wasn't a good answer. Yeah. There wasn't a there wasn't a right answer. Mm. It was just a choice. And I think this is what a lot of parents deal with, you know, when they go through life with a chronic illness. Um, you know, we we ended up having Bowen's third surgery on July 31st. Um, major open heart surgery. So just a few months ago and you know, this, this documentary, we really had our team with us this whole time through making this decision and moving as a family through the struggle of, of facing a major operation with, with Mm -hmm. other child, how it affected us, how it affected our marriage, how it affected our, his siblings. Um, and, and it wasn't easy for, for any of us, Mm -hmm. you know, it was raw and it was hard. And, one of the things we put in there um, was just the fact that the guilt that we even felt 
after the surgery was over mm. because even though we were grateful that it was done, grateful that his blood pressures were better, that he had more stamina, we still knew it wasn't over because there's no cure for his disease. Mm. So we still felt the sense of like, it's not over. Yeah. We so badly just wanted to be able to rest mm. and be done. But that isn't a reality for parents who deal with these illnesses, you know? So, so that's been really hard for yeah. us. And so, you know, I know there's people out there who are dealing with the same thing. And, um, and again, I just always go back to like, trying my best to, to, to rest in the mystery of like being okay with the tension, yeah, embracing the mystery, embracing the tension and, and letting it continue to refine me and make me more of who God wants me to be. Um, there are times when I want to just be embittered by it, but man, that's not what I want my children to learn from me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want my legacy to be that my kids trust in who God is, that he's never changing even when we change. And that through it all, this life and time is just a little blip mm-hmm. on, on eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's not really where we put our hope and it's not where we put our stock. Yeah, And so... Um, Gosh, another, That's great. <laughs> it's, there's so much, man, but, yeah. but you know, yeah, it's, it's not easy. Man. It's not, life isn't easy, but every time you make it over another mountain, you look back and go, ah, mm-hmm. okay. I see. I see what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've said before that life is not easy and Jesus didn't promise that it was. He didn't mm-hmm. promise it was going to be, but it's not easy for folks who are following after Jesus. And it's not easy for folks yeah who are not following after Jesus. Right. It's just, um, it seems to, there's a lot more peace when you're letting Jesus lead you through all That's of right. this and you're letting him carry again, you know, those burdens that, uh, that we're able to cast on him. And so, I mean, I just really appreciate how you're using, uh, the personal tragedies that you guys have walked through and your different trials that you know, have come in into your life and the platform that God's given you to minister to other people. I can sense your heart in it, Matt. I can sense a pastoral heart in you. I want to encourage you in that, that Thanks, he's man. got so much, um, so much, so much pastoring and maybe it looks different than standing on stage <laughs> the, you know, <laughs> the lead singer of a rock band, but it's going to be really cool to see how God uses that and um, ministers to so many different people through what you guys have gone through. So I just man, appreciate thank you. you. That, that encouragement means a lot to me. Yeah, man. I appreciate you spending time with us and pouring into our Nothing Is Wasted community as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, for, for yeah, just spending time with me. It means a lot. So if, uh, you know, I, w- I would love to keep tracking with people. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're going to need support as this documentary comes out mm-hmm. and the book comes out. We want people to walk with us in this story. Um, and if they feel it could, you know, our story could impact someone they know, mm. uh, to know how to share it. Um, so I'm pretty easy to find. If you Google Matt Hammett, yeah, we'd love people to follow follow along on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, wherever they, they like to do that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So Matt Hammett, is, that's where you can find it on social media. You guys have a website as well too. Yep. Just MattHammett.com. MattHammett.com. And then the book is called Lead Me. Uh, lead me yeah right. finding courage to fight for your marriage children and faith yes i love it man well thank you so much again for spending time with us thanks for having me on wow 
Wow, what a great interview with Matt. You know, the, it reminds me a lot of the concept that Andy Stanley talks about. He was talking about a lot in the past of this choosing to cheat mm-hmm. concept, right? You're going to cheat either your family or your work. You've got to choose which one you want to cheat. And just, yes. it's so convicting for me as an Enneagram 3. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Someone who's a high achiever and I drive and I like to work and it's just, it's that was convicting for me. I loved how he talked about how ministry was not just on his stage. He literally went off the Mm. stage on the highest point of his career, which is incredible, the timing of all this, going through the greatest suffering of your life, yet the greatest platform of your life. Mm -hmm. But the way that they spoke about it was so true that his great platform was really in the hospital, was really walking through life suffering through other people's lives that was unseen by the public eye. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, I think this is appropriate, not just for people who are, you know, pastors or in leadership or ministry. I think this is for everybody, every follower of Jesus. Your greatest ministry is your family. Yes. Your greatest ministry is the legacy that you're leaving, what you're investing in to your, you know, your, your spouse and your kids and cultivating the home. Um, you know, no matter, no matter what, what role you play in the home, whether you're the wife or the husband, doesn't matter. you like your investment into leaving a legacy for your family and ministering to your family. That's your greatest role. And often the most impactful things that we do are the most hidden things that nobody sees. And just because you're hidden and doing work in this secret hidden place doesn't mean it's not holy work. Mm. And so many times we have to remind ourselves of that. The glory of God is seen in mundane things when we are faithful to do that with an obedient heart towards God. And I love that they talked about that. And he really was real about, you know, we haven't graduated from this school Mm -hmm. of suffering. You know, Mm -hmm. he was saying we are still in the thick of it learning to trust Jesus in the process. But I love that, you know, you and I mean, Christy and Daniel will always always talk about why we are in the ministry that we do is because we've walked through what we've walked through. Yeah, that's it. And Matt and his family have a ministry that's different than it was before because of the suffering, and they did not let it get wasted. Yeah. You know, Brittany, one of the things I know you would never say this, and you're probably going to be mad at me that I actually tell everybody this. One of the things I've admired about you is some of the things that, you know, your heart to make sure that this, what we're talking about, is priority for you. There's been so many opportunities that you've had, that you've had to turn down, things that people have asked you to do that you've turned down. You haven't had to, but you've chosen to, to make sure that your family is thriving, to make sure that this weird, crazy situation that you've found yourself in of blending families and trying to you know, create a stable environment, a home that's um, healthy and thriving is thriving, that your kids are falling in love with Jesus, you've demonstrated this. So you can speak to this with, you know, with authority. And, and so I just want to, you know, say, I'm grateful for you for that. You're setting an example for so many of us. Um, and it's inspiring to us as Christy and I get a chance to interact with you guys and live, you know, live life, so to speak from afar with you guys. It's really, really, um, it's just, it's just cool. It's cool to Thank watch you, you do that. that. Encouragement, And it's definitely yeah. one of those things, even like Matt said, you just because you're walking in obedience doesn't mean you gr- don't grieve mm-hmm. the things that you miss out on. And so there is, there's sacrifice that comes with obedience. But man, at the end of the day, 
We yeah. want to rest where God has us in the will of the Lord, right where we're placed, even in the mundane, even in the craziness. That's so good. Well, we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Uh, you can go and listen to his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. And uh, next week, we have an awesome interview, Brittany. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So exciting. Dr. Lee Warren is on the interview next week, and it was powerful. Wow. He was a <laughs> he is a neurosurgeon yeah, so with a all powerful of a sudden, story. You I know, know right? neurosurgeon, you're like, okay, what? this is going to be, you know. <laughs> and has one of the craziest stories and has walked through it so faithfully. So check wow. out this clip for next week. As a neurosurgeon, one of the diseases that we deal with most commonly is a brain tumor, a uh, cancer in the brain called glioblastoma. Um, and it's the most common brain tumor in adults, and it's the most kind of uniformly fatal cancer mm. in humans. Like nobody survives it pretty much. And so as I, as a Christian and as a scientist, as a, as a surgeon, as I, as I began my career grappling with this illness, I would... I would sort of look at a patient and I would look at their scan and I would just see it in my mind, what was going to happen to them. Like mm -hmm. I would forecast to them. And I would always say to myself, I've seen the end of you. Like I, I know what's going to happen to mm -hmm. this guy. And, and so I had this issue of also from neuroscience knowing, and, it, and really from being a Christian knowing that people who have faith and hope and people who are willing to fight, they do better, even if they don't mm -hmm. live longer. So I needed my patient to fight even if I didn't believe he could survive. And I, at the same time, I had this Bible full of stuff telling me to pray without ceasing and the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much and God will heal our diseases and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and it was all true at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I would say to my patient, you know, I need you to pray. I need you to fight. But then in my heart at the same time, I would doubt mm -hmm. because I would say, I know what's going to happen. So, so I struggle with that, this notion of, of something being true scientifically and true spiritually at the same time, but this, the, the medical fact seemed to be 100%. Like mm -hmm. I'm asking my patient to pray for something that God always says no to. Mm -hmm.